Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Missed Apex Podcast. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute, and we're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. Today, I am joined by F1 media legend Joe Sayward. How's it going, Joe? Joyous, me. Well, we've got a lot of new listeners lately, and some of them have found us through the Netflix documentary and then have come and found F1 podcasts. And they're new to F1, Joe. Uh, For those people, can we we talk about who is Joe Sayward? Who is the legend of Joe Sayward? Well, sure, legend's quite the right word, but, you know, it's it's very nice to hear. It makes me feel um, 12 foot tall, but I'm not 12 foot tall. I'm only six foot, half the size of the legend. But what the hell? I mean, it's a nice thing to be. Um, I am a journalist who's been to Formula One races for longer than Spanners has been on this planet, I think. Nope, Although I'm not, not quite. quite. Well, okay, you were still in, I believe the Americans say diapers, when I started in Formula One. Is that fair? Well, you're very kind to say I look that young, Joe. But I was born in 1980. I believe you've been to every Grand Prix since 1988. This is true. So you were wearing diapers at eight, is what you're trying to say? Fine, <clears throat> let's roll with that, Joe. <laughs> Okay, I'll go with that. Yeah, well, so what, whatever. I, I've been going to every race for a long time, um, which is about 550 consecutive Grand Prix. And I was at the uh, wherever we were last week, Austria. Um, I've been on the road for two weeks. I just got home about two hours ago. Uh, after a very long day, I have to say it's t- ridiculous to have to drive two days home from Austria, but I just decided I was too old to do it in one. And it means you get to soak in some of the sights and sounds in between Grand Prix. I do. I've had a lovely time between Grand Prix. Yeah, I went I, not to not the last couple of days. I didn't really do any tourism. Not true entirely. I went to um, the circuit of the Peron, and there's a big memorial there too because it's one of those amazing races in 1933 where two drivers were killed in the same weekend. And I went to take a photograph of a memorial, I did, and I continued. But that was about all my tourism on the way home. So, um, 
on the way on the way between the French Grand Prix and the Austrian Grand Prix, I had a bit of a fair bit of tourism. I bumped into an IndyCar driver, as you may have read. Uh, what was he doing there? Just stalking you? No, no, no. He was he was looking. Uh, we were at Berchtesgarten, which, as everybody knows, is um, Hitler's eagle's nest, where he would have had a showdown if they hadn't nailed him before he got there. Um, in Bavaria, it's an amazing place up the top of a mountain. It's like Doctor No, actually. You go into a lift. You go into a, a, a tunnel that goes a hundred meters into the rock, and then you take a, a lift shaft up to Eagle's Nest, which is basically a tea shop on top of a mountain. But uh, that was where Hitler used to go for meetings and stuff. And um, it was great fun. I was standing up there minding my own business, and this bloke said, "Will you take a picture of me?" And then he oh, stopped. No. And he said, you're Joe. And I said, I am. But how the hell would you know? And he said, because I'm an IndyCar driver, his name's James Davison. He finished uh, 12th in the Indy 500 this year, which is pretty impressive. He comes from a very famous racing family in Australia. And it was just pure fluke. Because I said, but, you know, how would you know who I am? And he said, because when I was growing up, there was an Australian magazine called Motorsport News. And uh, Joe Saywood had this column for about 10 years in the, in the thing, so he knew my face. And otherwise, I, you know, can usually get away um, without anybody ever recognizing me. But this bloke recognized. Anyway, he's a lovely chap, and we had a very nice time together. He told me all the stories. And his, his grandfather, I have to qualify that, he had two grandfathers because one died racing cars. But his first grandfather won the Australian Grand Prix four times. And his second grand- grandfather was a Grand Prix driver, um, a man who created Goodwood as a racing circuit and also was a war hero who won uh, three DFCs and uh, crash landed in France and escaped through Spain. So he's a bit of a character. Well, I'm surprised to hear you say that you don't get recognised out and about because you've been in the paddock reporting from inside the heart of motorsport for for 31 years how about even like around the silverstone grand prix if you're milling around in northampton don't people ever stop and recognize you well i don't mill around in northampton you want to find places where i hang out you know um northampton's not one of them daventry's not one of them um the, the paddock in silverstone i don't really hang out anywhere really to be quite honest you're more likely to meet me in um in uh the ferry ports more than anywhere else in England anyway <laughs> that's always a good place to meet famous people I remember I met Mark Overmyers whilst waiting for the the hovercraft to the hook of Holland he was a footballer in 1994 and I I don't know was it Dennis Birdcamp I forget all the Dutch players are, uh, are um, was it Johnny Rep? <laughs> but he was afraid to fly so it was uh, Burkamp. So there you go. That's yeah, well, why. it was. It was too young for Johan Cruyff. Though. That's why he was taking the boat. Joe, where you do get recognised is your audiences with Joe Saywood. And Tanner Wilson has uh, sent me a tweet and said, it's been too long since uh, having Joe back in the shed. And that is my fault. I do apologise, Tanner. It's not Joe's fault at all. Uh, but also, Tanner is itching to know <laughs> if you're doing a chat before Circuit of Americas this year. Uh, one of your live audiences. Yes, I am. Uh, it's not 100% settled, but in principle, it's exactly the same time, same place as before. So, yes, save the Friday night for me. Excellent. And then a little bit closer, you've got one in Silverstone as well. No, I have one in London before Silverstone. Oh, London. Silverstone, nobody ever turns up because they're too busy camping. 
Let's start with the Austrian Grand Prix, Joe. A superb performance, a shot in the arm for F1 and a great racy drive by Max Verstappen. But I think what has kind of been a little bit lost in all the penalty furore, the, the penalty that wasn't, and of course all the, the praise been, that's been heaped on Max Verstappen, is this uh, first race Grand Prix win for ages for Honda. And and how much do you know about um, uh, the, the Honda principal or technical lead? I, I'm going to murder the pronunciation, but uh, Toharo Tanabe? Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, it's terrific because it's just what Honda needed. And... Um, and Max made it happen. Honda made it happen. Red Bull made it happen. I mean, the car's not perfect. The engine's not perfect. Max is almost perfect. Um, but they, you know, they had they had the, the the pace to beat Ferrari and to beat Mercedes. Now, the Ferrari fans will say it's not fair. He pushed him off. <laughs> he didn't push him off. He overtook him, and then Charles put himself in a situation where he had to drive off the road. So let's get real. Otherwise, Max would have been punished. It would have been horrible. Um, both drivers, I would say, made mistakes, and neither one, therefore, is to blame. And I think the result was terrific and right, because we need to have racing in in uh, in Formula One. And after Canada, there's a lot of people going blah, 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 about how um, there wasn't enough racing. Well, there we go. We've just killed that theory as well. So do you think without Canada and without that being for the race lead and without it being a couple of laps from the end, there's no other situation where that move would have been uh, deemed a penalty? After all, we do have this rule that you can't deliberately crowd a car off the track. And it, it did look like he did that. And obviously, there's a reason the stewards did take a look at the incident. So which, which one are you talking about? So we're talking about the one in Austria with uh, Verstappen. No, no, the one in Austria, it was very clear. Verstappen had passed Leclerc. Leclerc then put his car in a position where it looked like um, he'd been crowded off the track. He hadn't been. He, was, he had been beaten to the corner. He just made himself. Um, he made himself. I, I, I don't think he did it deliberately, but he made himself look as though he, you know, he was being pushed off. He wasn't pushed off. Max had beaten him. And he... To be fair to Charles, he said, I couldn't have held him off more than I did. And that's motor racing. But if they punished that, it would have been a disaster. Absolutely disaster. Oh, I've got complete sympathy for that. The the amount of toxicity we've seen in social media and the amount of uproar. That yeah, but who cares about social media? Oh, I, do you not, Joe? Well, there's a question from Ray Parker. How much do you know about the delay of the win verdict in Austria? And what is your opinion of the stewarding in general this season? But I'll, I'll start that by saying, do you honestly think that the media pressure and the context of where we are with everyone complaining about Canada and everyone complaining in general, do you really think that had no effect on the decision? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. Because if it had had an effect, it would have happened sooner. And it is it is it is complete arrogance on the part of the press to think. I, I saw some tweets on Sunday night in Austria from news uh, TV news shows that say that, saying it's seven o'clock. We have the news coming up. We need a decision. Hello, they need to have a little lesson in media. The media, you know, actually respond to what happens, not making it happen. So all those. Tw- Sorry, you can bleep that. <clears throat> All those people who suggested that it was taking a long time 
need to get their head in gear. It's the, the, we are not doing this for the benefit of news shows. We're doing it for the benefit of the sport. And I, I can't, it really annoys me, that kind of stuff, because it just shows a complete lack of understanding of everything in the world um, to sort of say, well, why, aren't, why don't we know the answer? Because 8 o'clock news is coming, 7 o'clock news is coming. You know, hello, does Donald Trump react to the, you know, when the news shows? No. He makes the news. Formula One is the same. Good. Well, it's it's good to hear you sort of forcefully defending the sport because there there have been people very much attacking the core of F1 and saying it's a mess. And I think it was declared dead at Paul Ricard by certain media outlets. Uh, but when yeah, it comes, what do, what do they know? Honestly, to you know, to declare a sport dead because they don't agree with the decision and because we have a boring race. Every so often we have a boring race, and when we have a boring race. It's the same thing every time. Every man and his dog jumps on social media and says it's terrible, the sport's dying, da da di da da And a week later, everyone goes, da da di da isn't the sport wonderful? I mean, frankly, the whole lot of them, you know, could be, could be thrown in the sea without anyone noticing. And, and this is one of the reasons I'm, I'm sort of depressed with social media, because it's always these, these vocal lunatics who, who just get on the thing and say, no, this is wrong, that's wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong. Well, just how about this is good, this is, this is you know, not bad. It would be really helpful, but all you ever get is negative. And, I, and that's one of the reasons that, that Formula One uh, fundamentally is not big on social media because who are these self-appointed experts who seem to know everything? I mean, one or two of them know what they're talking about, Martin Brundle, for example. But, you know, there's a whole number of websites with all kinds of different names and, and just your average punter. What sort of names, Joe? I'm not going to go into that, but people, you know, just spouting forth total crap, total rubbish. Sorry. If, you know, nah, we can get away with that one. You can bleep me. Nah, I don't care. That will pass fundamentally, that. it's a bunch of beep. And um, I beat myself there. Uh, who just don't know what they're talking about. And they're just doing it because makes them feel big and important and they're not big and important they're nothing uh just say hello to the chat room joe because julio has done a super chat there and he's contributed to the show you'll get a split of that joe don't worry checks in the post uh, but you can join our live stream and chat along with joe the live joe experience is a little different to the edited joe experience so one step down from seeing joe live is joining us on the live stream here on youtube by searching for missed apex podcast and then you can click the little bell and get a notification when we go live thank you for joining us live stream they're quite split as soon as we started talking about this penalty they got into a, a big debate and an argument about whether it should have been a penalty and, and, and arguments and stimulations like that i think are good for the sport i liked as a kid playing games like you are the referee where you would have a, a situation in football and I would play the referee and I would get to decide. The thing I liked about your answer, Joe, even though you were wrong about whether it should be a penalty or not, is that you were arguing whether it should be a penalty within the rules. Am I to take it that you do agree with there being some racing rules? Because there's a lot of, oh, just let them race. Just let them do what they want until their driver gets knocked off and then they go, oh, actually. Okay, okay. why are there rules? I think most sports that take themselves seriously have rules to define the manner in which you can compete. No. The rules in Formula One, particularly relating to driver behavior, come from the drivers and the teams. The FIA 
is merely being accommodating. The drivers and the teams wanted black and white penalties, which is why we had the Canadian decision. It was a very, very marginal decision, but it was correct. And you know, the stewards, <clears throat> it's not fair. What happened to the stewards in Canada? Uh, Emanuele Pira got death threats. You know, okay, admittedly, Ferrari fans are a bit wacky, but that's too much. And, and you know, you have to just accept that these people know what they're talking about and they do it for a reason. It's not because the FIA is trying to skew things. The FIA is, as much as it sort of um, pains me to say it, it doesn't really pain me to say it, but it's sort of against the, it's against the flow. The FIA is really objective these days in making decisions, and they really do make decisions based on what experts think. And they're not just tin pot experts. You know, you're talking about guys who've won Le Mans 10 times. <clears throat> the um, Tom, Tom uh, Christensen was the driver's steward in Austria, and he's won Le Mans 10 times. Piro's won, only won Le Mans five times, but how many other people in the world have won Le Mans five times? Now, you're talking about proper racing drivers. You understand it. So every time you hear a Formula One driver say, oh, never done Formula One, they're just talking crap. Now, racing is racing. Um, Formula One drivers will always do anything they can to get a point. Sometimes it will be illegal. I bumped into Danny Rick um, on Sunday night in Paul Ricard, and he was standing outside the stewards' room, and I went by and I laughed at him. <laughs> and uh, and he, he looked at me and, and, and he said, what? And I said, well, you're going to get spanked. <laughs> And he and he said, "Okay, well, fair enough to get spanked. You know, you get spanked." And I said, "Well, you've got to be careful about spanking with the FIA, of course. There's a history there." And we had a bit of a laugh, but you know, fundamentally, I think he know he knew that he he'd gone over yeah. the edge. Uh, he was he was a little bit fed up when he it was all taken away from him. But if you're going to do it, do it neatly. And and Max did it neatly in uh, in Austria. You know, he he did everything just about legally. Charles did everything just about legally, but Charles made it look a little bit like it was Max's fault, which I thought was a bit naughty. Um, but I don't blame him for that. That's what racing drivers do. But to be fair also, Charles didn't have a hope in hell because his tyres were shot and Max was still on it. And, you know, you have to bear in mind that these guys can play theatre. And, and people will say that, you know, Lewis Hamilton made the non-pass of Vettel in the race look like a bit of theatre. Up to a point, yes, he did. So, but, yeah. but he was nonetheless, he could have got through the gap if Vettel hadn't closed it. So, you know, everybody does that. It's, it's part of the game. And and it is a game. See, that's what we have to remember. It's not just a sport. It is. Sorry, it's not it's the end. It's not. It's not the end of civilization no. as we know it, which some people think. I mean, some people who 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 post on social media think that you know this is important in the world, and they need to understand that Trump going off and 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 sucking up to North Korea is rather more important. So, if, if you would allow me, Joe, the thing I like about having rules is that I can put myself in the competitors' positions and what they would do. So, for example, on the Ricciardo one, around the outside, leaving the track to then overtake Kimi Raikkonen, as far as Kimi was concerned, he did everything he could 
within the rules. And the rules say that you should stay on the track generally. So when he's defended all the way to the edge, he's done everything in his power. If you then get upset at Ricciardo's penalty, you're kind of saying, well, well, never mind, Kimmy. I know you did everything you could, but the overtake was more exciting, so we're going to let you pass. That's why I like the rules to be defined, and I like them to be clearer. Could we do anything more to say... You know, let's educate people on the rules. Let's do like a nice no, short shot. No, no, we don't need to do that. We just need to bring back grass. Well, because <laughs> if, and I don't mean the stuff you smoke, I mean the stuff you drive over. If you go off the road, you should lose out. The problem is with the modern Formula One tracks, in order to save cars crashing into walls, in other words, to cut costs, they've put tarmac everywhere. If you put tarmac everywhere, people are going to drive over it. So the answer is put grass back. Because the minute you get on grass, you're going to lose time. You're going to crash, whatever. And that will solve half the problems of Formula One. Now, it may cause more crashes. And, you know, I know that the Zebra Crossing Brigade won't like that. But that's motor racing. That's what motor racing is about. It's about taking a risk. If you go off track on grass and you manage to get back on ahead of the guy ahead of you, well, actually, fair enough. You know, what, you know, what's wrong with that? Because the chances are you'll spin and go into a wall and smash yourself up. But if you do it, why not? But I, all this tarmac everywhere, you know, you can run off 30 meters. Uh, one of the nice things about Austria is it's still got gravel traps. Now, the problem is that racing cars and racing bikes uh, are in conflict. The bikers don't like gravel. Because when they hit gravel, they dislocate something or other. What do you mean motorbikes, Joe? Yes. They race motorbikes. That's insane. Yep. Why would they do that? Well, because that's what happens in oh, the world. Okay, I'll check there it are, out. There, there are insane people <laughs> who race motorbikes. May, may I just quickly interject? Because obviously having the track limits defined by something that's less than ideal to drive on seems like a no-brainer, even if you have runoff beyond that. However, yes. there, are, there are things you can do on track that are illegal as well. So, I mean, any crowding inevitably starts on track. So there's a specific rule about driving cars off and contact. How much contact are we allowed? That kind of thing. Well, you don't need contact. If you watch, if you watch Lewis Hamilton racing Kimi Raikkonen, there's, there's never contact. They race beautifully. Side by side, they will go around a series of corners because they both play by the rules. They're old school. Uh, they don't crash into each other. There's none of the Schumacher school involved in that, and I don't mean whatever his name is, the kid. Um, it's just proper racing, how it should be. And that's where we have to, you know, there has to be respect for the other people. So point number one is respect. But point number two is that that you have to have, because people won't listen and they won't respect, that's the way they are, you have to have things that stop them and uh, make them behave as they should. And the problem with that is that the, that conflicts, Formula One and MotoGP have different demands. And when you look at which which race makes the most money, fundamentally MotoGP makes more because they take less in fees. I see. Joe, I think people are slightly fatigued by the penalty and the rules chat. I, I just hope that... In future, if we do have decisions, they can make them quicker. It would be nice to make them quicker just so that we can turn our tellies off knowing the result. It seems like in other sports, VAR and Hawkeye... No, but, and- but you, can't, you, cannot, you cannot say that. The reason for that is, if you want me to break it down, in Austria, the race ended 
okay? The winners, the people who were involved in this particular in, uh, situation, had a whole bunch of things to do. When, when a guy wins a race, you've got to do media, more media, more media. And you can probably get, if the race finishes at 4.30, you won't, you'll be lucky to get away from the media by 5.30. So if there is an issue that then has to be discussed with the stewards, and what happened in this particular case, the stewards called a, uh, a uh, hearing for 6 o'clock, which is a sensible time. They then had about an hour listening to the drivers. They had videos to look at. They had precedents to look at. They looked through a whole bunch of stuff. It takes you at about 7 o'clock. They then had to write the decision, check the decision was properly written, and publish it, blah blah Oh, not to mention the fact they also had to tell the teams involved as well. So when it got to 7.30, 7.40, which seems like a long time after the event, it's actually not. That was the best they could do. But, and 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 the downside of that is if they want to do more than that, you cut the media time, so all the post race stuff gets cut out. You can't you get to hear what the drivers say. Joe, you, just next time, could you remind them that our live stream is at eight pm? So they really do need to try and get it at least before eight pm. Would that would, is that is the media yeah. trying to uh, influence the news? <laughs> oh, I suppose it. it is, but I'd consider it a favour. Cheers, Uncle Joe. Look, the the chat oh, yeah, room. That, that, be that as it may, I have to say that I thought it was a very long time, but. I understanding how the process works and all the things that have to be gone through. I don't think it was that long. And anybody who thinks that, you know, there's a whole bunch of people out there who think, you know, they're sitting there going, what should we do? What should we do? Let's call Jean Todd. That didn't happen. It doesn't happen anymore. In the old days, it used to happen. You know, Max Mosey would say, well, do this, do that. And the stewards would agree to it, but it doesn't happen anymore. It's properly independent. And I believe that absolutely believe it. No, I believe you as well. Uh, Joe, the chat room is screaming to know what's going on at Rich Energy. So do you mind if we move Husswards? Because well, obviously there's... I don't know. People are really intrigued. And because they, they've made a splash. It's that kind of no... There's no such thing as bad media almost. Because the Rich Energy account on Twitter gets a lot of attention just by mm. being complete and utter gits. Like, they just seem like the most hateful, horrible organisation ever, and they now apparently have to reveal how much they're investing into Haas, which I'm assuming is in the region of hundreds and hundreds of pounds. I have no idea what they're doing, to be honest. I never understood what they're doing. But if Haas took them, there's serious money involved. They didn't. Haas did not do this for fun. They expected money to be paid, and the minute money isn't paid, the Haas will remove them from the car. So money's being paid. Who they are, why they have birds nesting in their beards, and all the rest of this stuff is is a question that I really don't care about. You know, I, I've never tried any of this stuff. Those who have tried it say it tastes like Red Bull, if you can find it. Um, it's exactly as tasty as Red Bull. Well, there you go. I don't care. If they pay the money, you know, and they're not killing animals or small children – you know, as far as I'm, well, anybody actually, <clears throat> you know, so what? You know, some bunch of crazies with silly beards, ZZ Top um, goes bananas um, or whatever flavor it is. Um, you know, they're doing their thing. If they're paying, so. If the police catch them and send them to jail, that's another story. But I don't see any evidence of that happening. Um and And thus, therefore, if they want to spend money, which nobody knows where it comes from, 
uh, to a purpose nobody really understands. That's their problem, isn't it? It's not our problem. No, I suppose you're right there, Joe. As long as it's not having a negative effect on the team, because, I mean, that team got beaten by a Williams this week. Yeah, but they're getting beaten by... Did they? Yeah, Magnussen. No, nobody ever gets beaten by Williams. Magnussen um, finished behind uh, behind Russell in the end. Okay, well, they don't. They're having trouble fixing their tyres, but you know, fundamentally, um, <clears throat> I don't think that. I don't think that rich energy has anything to do with whether they're beating Williams or not. Okay, good, fair enough, Joe. Joe, everyone loves to know about the driver market. So if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you some stuff about the driver market after this. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to Inside F1. We are a Missed Apex podcast, motorsport type organizational output thing. That's right. Those words made sense. Rejiggle them at home by yourself. Inside F1 is part of what Missed Apex does. And Joe Sayward is our star guest on Inside F1 because you're inside the paddock and you have been for 31 years. We appreciate you giving us our input. Driver shuffles, Joe. It, it's all kicking off. I think the the biggest one on everybody's minds is Gasly. We've had several questions about Gasly. One is from Paul Wiggins. Do you think, Joe, that Gasly will leave Red Bull in the summer break? And if so, who are the tips to replace him? Michael Dustelhoff says, I'm curious what Joe knows about the current Red Bull situation or would expect the outfit to do at this rate Gasly is costing them millions of pounds or otherwise known as a P2 in the constructors so I can't imagine that Marco would let him finish the season Max Verstappen is ahead of both Ferraris in the drivers championship Gasly is not that mm-hmm. that's all true and fair but uh, Marco chose Gasly uh, and therefore, Marco has to take the blame if Gasly's not delivering. Um, 
Marco doesn't understand the concept of supporting drivers. Drivers can be very good, but they often, all of them, all of them need support in the right way. Marco's old school is like sort of if you you float or sink, that's his view. The trouble is he sunk so many drivers that Red (laughs) Bull doesn't have anybody to replace Gasly. Gasly was put in there before he was ready. Uh, And, you know, if they're really stupid, they'll fire Gasly and put Albon in there, and that'll destroy Albon as well. Because you can't just walk in, with the exception of Max Verstappen, of course, but you can't just walk in and take over a top Formula One drive and be competitive with Max Verstappen. You have to be realistic. Now, Gasly's done not a very good job, but one has to look at the why why that's happened. Albon's done a decent job. Danny Kvyat is okay, but second time round, Danny Kvyat's not going to get another chance at Red Bull. And it's way too early for Alexander Albon. And and Mar- Marco's killing drivers <laughs> elsewhere. Dan Tictum has been wiped out in the last week and replaced by Pato O'Ward, o- uh, who finished last in the Formula 2 race. You know, parachute somebody into a hard situation is is Marco's idea of a good idea. So the guy finishes last. You know, he's beaten by every single body, including a you know, everyone including a donkey who was running around at the back. Um now, is that good promotion for anybody? It's good promotion for the donkey at the back, I suppose. <laughs> but for Formula Two it's not good. For IndyCar it's not good. For Pato Award it's definitely not good and it's pretty lousy for Red Bull. Now he got better and they're sending him off to Japan to replace the poor departed Tictum, who's, you know, otherwise Tictum's going to be running, um, I don't know what he'll be doing, sort of carousels in, in circuses at Brighton, you know, because once the money goes, there's not else, nothing else to do. Um, but I think the problem with Red Bull is in the expectation that they place upon drivers. They've killed more drivers than they've made. You know, they, they've destroyed 20 careers and made two of them. And, you know, even Max Verstappen wasn't a Red Bull driver. They had to bring him in. You know, so one has to ask the question, is Marco doing a good job or should Marco be the one who's fired? Very interesting. Joe, is there any chance of a mature driver, a mature hire coming in? Because I heard... That's all I would do. If I, was, if I was in that situation, whereas they are now, and, you know, you, give, you have to give Garcia the rest of the season to try and get up to speed. That's only fair. Um, but if he can't make it up to speed, what would you do? I'd, I'd take on Halkenberg. Really? Because Halkenberg is a solid guy. You know he's going to score points when he can. He's not that far behind Danny Rick. And we know that because we've seen him up against Dan Ricardo and Dan Ricardo up against um, Verstappen. Max Verstappen was a close call. So we, we know that, 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 uh, uh, that Nico is good. But you know, he's prepared. He's 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 been in Formula One for lots of years. Being in the top team is not just about your natural genius. It's about being uh, trained properly, and uh, I think that's really important. Joe, I have heard a rumor being spread by an irresponsible shed organization that Vettel has been increasingly spending lots of time talking to the Red Bull crew during race weekends. Could it possibly be that as he falls out of favour at Ferrari, he then 
returns to his glory team back to Red Bull, where he won four championships. Is that even a distinct possibility with perhaps Verstappen going the other way? Why would Max Verstappen destroy his career by joining Ferrari? Why does anyone join Ferrari? Honestly, it gets to me. To destroy their career. Yeah, with but the people love it. Michael Schumacher, <laughs> because they had a different kind of management. If Ferrari is changing its management style to be like Jean Todd's era, then you can understand why it might be a good idea for Max to go there. But I see no sign of that happening. If I was Max Verstappen, perhaps he looks at the results Vettel could have got that he's thrown away since 2017 and gone, hmm, well, I wouldn't have lost it there. I wouldn't have lost it there. I wouldn't have gone into the wall there. I think Vettel could have easily won 2017. He could have been a lot closer in 2018. Uh, Obviously, this season's a little bit different. But maybe Max is looking at Ferrari and going, well, I would have won them. Oh, maybe, maybe not. You know, he just won a race with a Honda. (laughs) Yes. So... You know, everyone says the Honda's rubbish, particularly people at McLaren, um, <laughs> who must be smarting just a tad by having been not only beaten by, you know, McLaren, Honda should be where Renault, or sorry, Red Bull Honda is. Uh, they're not. So the Honda's not so bad. You know, it's not a bad engine. If Matt can win races with it, one has to ask the question about whether McLaren made a mistake dumping them. I think the counter might be the Red Bull Honda is competitive. At, in fact, Red Bull in general at very particular tracks, i.e., Mexico. And no, Brazil. no, that's that's absolutely true. But also, you know, people often bang on about how Red Bull chassis are better than everyone else. But I tell you what, they're not this year. That is a victory, largely to do with Max Verstappen, to do with Honda. It's also to do with the way the, the chassis works with tires. But the Red Bull is not a great chassis this year. Awesome. Well, so you think the status quo at Red Bull is going to be Gasly and Verstappen staying all of this season? I, I think uh, they, I didn't say next season. You didn't say next season. So yeah. So then they're looking that they're in a little bit of a pickle unless Albon really pulls. Now, it out Albon, of Albon is good, but you, you don't you don't parachute a good guy into a position where he's going to fail. And that's what Red Bull has done consistently. They've destroyed the careers of people, left, right, and center. And that's Marco. You can only blame Marco for making these decisions that basically it's either sink or swim. And he's had he's had a couple of guys who sank, yep. well, a couple of guys who swam, and the rest sank. I bring back Algoswari. That's what I say. Well, Algoswari, Liuzzi, Gianni, there's, 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 a, there's a list a mile long. Can we move to Mercedes? We can, we, we've kind like. we've sort of lost track of of Ocon and Ocon potentially replacing Bottas because of the much heralded Bottas 2.0, which I think was an illusion of circumstance. My personal opinion, don't at me. Actually, do at me. Spanners ready on Twitter or Spanners? It's not. It's not a. It's not an illusion. He's he's much better this year. Okay, but that form hasn't sustained. I don't think it's no, fair to it's say. Because, it's because Lewis Hamilton's got better. You know, it's all very well saying Bottas is rubbish. Bottas is not rubbish. Bottas upped his game, but Lewis upped his game. And that's what you have to do as a world champion. You've got to, you've got to beat everybody. And, you know, the fact that Lewis is beating Bottas now, not every time, is down to... Uh, fundamentally to the will of the driver and his ability to produce good results. There's now, an... Ocon, Ocon will probably find... I, I think Ocon will be at Renault next year myself. Oh. 
That's just a feeling I have. Well, well let's see if um, if if wasted years on Twitter at wasted years thirty three uh, can take this chat in a slightly different direction. So he asked any sense on Bottas staying with Mercedes past this season from his career point of view. I thought well, it's obvious. Why? Where would he go? I don't know. Renault, I guess, or be strong. Well, why would you two. do that? If you're if you're Bottas, you'll stay where you are, unless unless Ferrari pulls ahead. And has a significant advantage, in which case it might be worth his while going there. Why would you leave the second best car, well, sorry, the best car in Formula One, to go to the third best car? It's just, it's just silly. People don't think things through. Rule number one: never leave a winning car. Tell that to Dan Ricciardo. Yes, not plan A for Dan Ricciardo at the moment. You talked about. A McLaren feeling a bit sick at seeing the Red Bull Honda winning. Obviously, Dan Ricciardo sitting there as well going, huh, even if the, the gamble... Yeah, but Dan couldn't stay where he was okay. because Max was killing him. And you can't be... If you sit too long alongside somebody who's beating you on a regular basis, which is what was happening... It was. Your career gets wiped out. So the best thing is to move elsewhere. What what Dan did was move elsewhere with a lot more money. So he's very smart. Now, turning moving elsewhere to a lot more money into winning things is the next step. And that's what they have to do. Renault has to do that. But there's no reason. I mean, right now they're they're you know they're behind fundamentally behind McLaren. But as of today, you know, McLaren's car designer left today. Um, so next year's car will be designed by somebody else. I don't know if you missed that or not, but Pat Fry has left McLaren. I did catch a tweet, but you deleted it because there was a typo in it. That's quite right. Yes, yeah. pay Fry. <laughs> I was I did it from a from a motorway service station. Uh, um, if you let me double was, back to McLaren, bit- Joe, uh, we're all on Danny Rick. I am curious to think. Obviously, you've said he's made that move for money. He had to get out of where he was. I didn't say he'd made the move for money. I said he'd made the move. To to go to the next best thing didn't get him two seasons of being whipped by Max and at the same time being paid a lot of money. It doesn't mean <laughs> that Danny Rick's finished. It means that Danny Rick, in a, in a Renault that's competitive, will win races and perhaps world championships. But it was a calculated gesture. gesture. It, was a, it was a calculated move to get away from Max and to go somewhere where he thought he had a better chance. So... No, let's not let's not be nasty about Danny Rick. He's a very good driver, but Max is a very good driver too. So is Charles, everybody's a very good driver. That's the problem, you know. Yeah, no, everyone. Yeah, sure, that's right. Yeah, with the exception of who? No, no, that's fine. It's fine. No, no, you're, you're trying to say something. Everybody here. gets a trophy. I'm more than happy with that, Joe. Joe, I want to pick up what you said about. No, no, you're trying to say Lance Stroll, aren't you? Yeah, I know that. Oh, I tell I hadn't even Lance Stroll. I'll, I'll check him out. I'll see yes, how he's you had. Out. That's exactly what you're thinking. I'll, I'll check out his qualifying results and, uh, and I'll get back to you. And, no, and no, he's not doing well. particularly well. But but in the overall scheme of things, this is the best Formula One field we've ever had. I'm not going to argue with that. It's it's a great Good, field. Don't drivers. even try. 
can't wait. Joe, I want to get on to, to all of this. Uh, we've still got to talk McLaren. Uh, and we've definitely got to talk a little bit about Williams. Uh, for once, I want to know about Williams this season. But first, I want to tell the good people where they can catch up with you. If you search for Joe Bloggs F1, you'll catch Joe's website. And he does a green notebook thing, which is like a travel log, basically, where he tells you all the wine and vineyards that he visits um, and all the breweries, Joe, and uh, all the distilleries and some non-booze-related ones as well, uh, places too. Uh, it's a great blog to catch up with. Also, after the race, he, he does a print. People still write race reviews. Honestly, they do. GP Plus magazine. You can subscribe to that yearly and uh, and you can hear the green mo- notebook there being slammed against the table. But it's okay because I'm pretty laid back about audio quality. I, I'm take it or leave it really with uh, with audio. But search for Joe Blogs F1 to catch up with all Joe's writing. You can catch up with the show predominantly by going to mistapexpodcast.com or searching on Twitter for Spanners Ready or at mistapex. F1. Joe, what are you on about with McLaren then? There's someone new going to be designing the car next season. What impact is that going to have? And what impact did Pat Fry then ha- Sorry, Pat Fry? Am I getting the right name? What did he impact that he had on getting the team back up into contention where Lando Norris can go wheel to wheel with some of the top racers in the sport at the moment? Well, it's fairly obvious what the impact he had is they have a comp- not a competitive car, but they have a nearly competitive car. Um, and, you know, Pat's a guy who knows how to do it. And they pulled him in, in very late in the day to pull everything together. And he did. But it was a contract because they they, they, they wanted to have James Key, who used to be at Scuderia Toro Rossa. That was their choice of designer. When they announced that James was joining McLaren, Matt Morris, who was the designer at McLaren, went, uh-uh, I'm not working with James because the oh. two of them had a history together at Sauber. So so Matt quit and left the industry and went to do something else. And McLaren were in a trouble we were in a troubled situation because their designer had gone and their new designer couldn't join them. And so they went out and they went fishing for the only bloke who was available, happened to be Pat, who happens to be a very, very good technical director. He came in, he did the job, he put them up where they should be. But, of course, James then arrived, and th- therefore there's no job for Pat. So it's no big surprise that Pat would leave. The question is whether they made the right choice in James. And only time will tell us that. Now, he will inherit Pat's car and, and logically will improve it and whatever. But it'll be all be down to whether or not James can do the job. Pat's shown he can do the job. Pat may show up elsewhere. Maybe not. You know, he's made enough money in his life. He doesn't need to do anything anymore if he doesn't want to. Um, but, you know, every so often somebody lures him back. Uh, and he does a good job. You know, the guy's a, the guy's a proper professional technical director. Um, but he doesn't have to work because he doesn't need to. So he's happy like that, which is kind of weird for Formula One because Formula One is all about driven people who are mad and, you know, stay... <laughs> stay at the office 48 hours a day. But Pat's not like that. He just does the job and does it in the way he likes doing it. And he get, he has time with his kids and goes mountain biking, which is, you know, man, his age, he should know better. Um, but, you know, has a good time. So, you know, if there's anybody else who wants to hire him, Pat's available. But he's done his job at McLaren and now he up, it's up to James to do the, you know, to do the right thing. Well, the, the chat room is screaming Williams for Pat Fry. 
Well, it does seem to be a logical choice, but then what's logic got to do with Williams? We'll get to Williams in just a moment. I want to stay with McLaren, Joe, because we've got a great question here from Sam Rasmussen on Twitter. And it says, McLaren seem like they're closer than ever to being a real competitor to the top three teams again. Certainly, uh, there's a lot of hope from McLaren fans. He continues, what else do they have to change to start winning races again? Chassis designer. (laughs) Chief Aerodynamics. Well, actually, they know what they have to change. Fundamentally, they have to change the wind tunnel. Right. That's two years' worth of work. Uh, They're planning to do it. I was talking to their new team principal uh, who understands. He's a very clever man. He understands what you need to do, which is focus on what's important, what's important aerodynamics. Let's fix it. So, you know, he's... He's moving in the right direction. As long as the money stays there, as long as the focus stays there, as long as they don't mess around with IndyCar or Le Mans or all these other <laughs> things, they will do at some point. They will do because, you know, they, they haven't quite got the concept that Formula One is, is um, all-encompassing. You know, when you, when, if you're Mercedes-Benz right now, you've won five consecutive world championships, then it's acceptable to mess around in other championships, but you don't do it before then. Rightio, Joe. Inevitably, I think we are going to have to move to the white and blue toothpaste liveried Williams outfit, a very popular team. I know, Joe. I'm sorry, but I... I, I'm I'm very... I'm a huge fan of Williams, but they've been appalling of late. Um, That's quite kind, to be fair. Yeah, no, that's not kind. That's truth. Uh, They've been dreadful. But doesn't mean they will remain dreadful. Uh, What they need to do is find a new technical leader. And the big news 10 days ago, I don't know how long ago, a week ago, is that Paddy Lowe has now officially left the team. (laughs) Yeah, that was a great weird story to suddenly No, no, but it's very important that it is officialized. And because it's officialized, that means they can go and look out for somebody else. Because the reason it wasn't officialized is there there was some kind of legal action or not going on. There has been a settlement, which means now they don't have to worry about uh, getting legal action if they hire somebody else. They can go and hire somebody else. And my my take on it is that they will be hiring somebody to run the team on a practical basis, first of all. And then they will give that person the power to go and hire the technical people he likes or wants. Who is that person? Good question. But if I was a gambling man, I'd say that the name Jost Capito would be in the in in the the park. Okay, not Jost, not Jost Capito was the, the head of Volkswagen Motorsport, who was hired by McLaren and then pushed out almost immediately. Um, and did he try Jost and put is, diesel into the car? Did he? Is that why? Interesting argument, but mm, no, no, it wasn't okay. what he tried to do. He just arrived at the same time as <laughs> Zach Brown, and Zach Brown wanted his own space and. You know, ditch the guy who might have helped more. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, my sense is that 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 Yost is the right man for that job. Um, Eric Boulier, maybe, um, but I think that Yost, somebody needs to take hold of Williams by the scruff of the neck and shake it a lot. So, have they been leaderless then this whole time? The no, they've had Claire, right? And is she a technical? kind of boss or more of a it doesn't matter whether she's technical or not she's clearly not technical 
the fact is a leader is a leader. If you have a leader, you're halfway there. Yeah, but you'd want an engineering-minded lead in what is essentially an engineering project, wouldn't you? Yes, you would, and that will come. Okay, good. If you have a proper leader, then you will have a technical leader afterwards. She chose Paddy Lowe. It was the wrong decision because Paddy Lowe was clearly not the answer, which I think we've proved quite dramatically. (laughs) Um, So we'll see what happens, but I just... Something in me water says that Oscar Pito is the answer. And I think we should listen when you have those sneaking suspicions, Joe. We've learned that over the last two years of you joining us in this shed. Do you mind if we talk drivers at Williams? I've got a question on, on that there, Twitter. You, you love the question. No, 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 because people. if I say anything, the whole of Poland will abuse me. Oh, Joe, Poland, stop listening to this podcast now. If you're oh, a Polish good. Fan, in that case, I'll say anything you like. If you're a Polish fan of Formula One and you listen to Mist Apex, do get in touch. Let me be clear. We love Robert Kubica. It's not a case of not liking the guy in any way, shape or form. He's clearly in a unique position. I don't think we've seen anything like this when such a clearly talented driver has been out of the sport for so long, has come back in with different challenges and has got himself up to speed enough to, let's be fair, he's he was trading paint with George Russell. He's out there racing, but some people feel like he hasn't got the ultimate pace to be fighting. And, and Joe, you're one of those people. Yes, I am. Cinderella does not exist. It, it's a fairy tale. And as much as I'd like to see the fairy tale come true, Robert hasn't got what is necessary. And is that more obvious now that we're nine races in? Yes, it's very obvious. He's there now solely because of the money and 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 because Claire's actually a nice person, um, you know, which which is not what you need to be as a Formula One team principal. Uh, you have to be brutal and say, well, he's not delivering the goods. What are the choices? Um, it's a it's a difficult call because they need the money. I've got a question, Joe. I, yeah. I just I don't want to be completely unfair to Robert Kubica because there, there is a, a chance that George Russell has just gone in there, hit the floor running, and he is just absolutely smashing it. We can't tell. We can't tell. No, that. no. You know, you can tell. He's beating Robert every time. The gap in uh, in Austria was ridiculous by the end of the race. Ridiculous. Yes, and it was was it nearly a lap in the end? I know Robert had lost three laps to the leaders, whereas George Russell had lost two. My question would be, is if that Williams outfit was, say, where Alfa Romeo are or where Renault are, we would have had the opportunity to see Robert actually dicing wheel to wheel. He hasn't had a chance to really race anyone. And that's my my only uh, holdout from saying, yeah, he's done. He's a million miles off the pace of of George. I mean, it's embarrassing. He's that far behind. So it's all very well dressing it up and trying to say that Cinderella does have a broomstick that works, but this this broomstick doesn't fly. So you just have to be brutal and you have to be fair and you have to be honest about it and say, yes, there's loads of money coming from Poland to support Robert, but he's just not there. I'm sorry. I mean, as much as I'd love to see it, because it's a great story if it happened, he's just not there. Joe, what do we think then about the immediate future? Because there's still another 11 or so races. Uh, There's a question on Twitter from Juan Carlo fishy queller (laughs) hey i was struggling with how to read that but then it made sense as i read it very good said i read that mercedes and latifi are lobbying for robert kubitz's drive as he's only paid for half a season do you have any insight on that i think he's paid for a lot more than that but that's not the point the point is whether he can deliver it doesn't matter how long you've paid for 
you've got to deliver. Latifi can probably pay as much because he comes from a very wealthy family. Is he ready to do it? Another question. Is he good enough to do it? Another question. Uh, I don't know. And I think that's probably the Williams view is that, well, we've got what we've got. And is Latifi any better? And the answer to that is we don't know. Uh, but are Williams in a position where they still definitely need a paid driver? We can talk about what a paid driver is, but they need a driver who brings budget. Yes, they do. Okay. And is, is there a perfect storm? Because somebody actually asked a, a question earlier, and I, and I missed it, that said, what is a paid driver? Who would we define as out-and-out paid drivers? I know the line is blurred a little bit, but Lewis Hamilton and Vettel aren't paid drivers. Lance Stroll, you could suggest, brings money in and could be defined as a paid driver. Sergio Perez, he's there on the on the limit. Do you have mm-hmm. a good definition of of what's a modern paid driver? No, it's no. very hard to it's very hard to say that. You know, Lance's dad owns the team. What makes him a paid driver? No, okay. Well, I'm I'm happy to define. No, no, but it, but, it, but it, it's impossible to define. Yeah. You know, uh, but Nicky Lauda was a paid driver, a paid driver rather, and he had to convince everybody. He he went from being a paid driver to a paid driver uh, by using his talent. So that's there is a clear path that one can take to do that, um, but it's a hard thing to do, and. We haven't seen that yet from, certainly not from Lance. He, I mean, he did finish on the podium in Baku. There were reasons for that. But nonetheless, he did a good job. But no, no Formula One driver is a bad driver. No. Don't get me wrong. They're all good. There's nobody who should not be there. Yeah, sure. Cool, 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 cool. I agree. Yeah, sure, sure. Yep, cool. No, it's, it's yep, the best. Yep, yep, sure. <laughs> it's, the, it's the best grid we've ever had in Formula One in overall talent. It was Matt Phil Carver on Twitter who gave us that question. Thank you very much to everybody who sent us questions on Twitter. I did try to get through as many of them as I could this week. I know I'm not always very good at that. And Joe, thank you for your time. I don't say it enough. If you wouldn't mind finishing off by talking a bit of business, because I think everybody is still interested in cost caps. And that story seems to be creeping and crawling forward. But every now and then we get a bit of an update. Is there anything more that reveals whether these cost caps are going to work, whether they're going to come in? And I think everybody is starting to get more and more annoyed by a sport that is dictated by the teams so much. Why do the teams have so much say? Why did the teams get to vote on the tyres this week? It's it's a an odd situation from a sporting point of view. That's just the way it is. You have to, things have developed that way. You can't just start it again. Um, the teams have a say. There should be less say. Um, but get, give it, getting them to give away power is not easy. So that's, that's the one point. The second point is um, in terms of getting a cost cap to work, they are, they're going to make a cost cap work. It will be self-policing. They'll look after themselves. Everybody who says otherwise is just bull. Um, and I didn't say the second bit of that, but um, I'm learning over time. Um, but, you know, once you have a cost cap in place, the manufacturers will start pushing it down anyway. They will make sure that teams don't cheat because it's not in their interest. If you look what happened to Renault, in 2009, total meltdown because they were caught cheating. And, you know, you have to, you know, that's just the way of the world. So it will work. There's no question it'll work. 
And, and what, what uh, effect do you think it'll have on the sport? Can we bring the teams closer together? Well, it depends who's the clever people, you know, and, and that's what will, what will bring them together. The clever people currently all work for Mercedes. There's some people, clever people working elsewhere, but the majority of them work at Mercedes. Now, if you if you lower the number of clever people working at Mercedes, they will go and work elsewhere. So that will raise the level elsewhere. And, you know, when all is said and done, I, I think it's an absolutely necessary thing for Formula One. Would you mind, I know you've talked about it elsewhere, but would you mind breaking down for us what happened uh, with this tyre meeting? There was a vote held as to whether they were going to revert back to the 2018 tyres. And it's, it's, you would think, with Mercedes being so dominant, that it would be 9-1. to one. No, it's not. It's not 9-1 to one for several reasons. First of all, there are Mercedes customers. Second of all, there are people who believe that this is all a bunch of tosh. Um the fact that Mercedes hasn't been beaten up to now is down to the fact the other teams haven't done a good enough job. What usually happens when teams haven't done a good enough job is there are political games dressed up as other things. This this idea of switching tyres was dressed up as being good for the sport. It basically was designed by Red Bull uh, with support from Ferrari, um, who had their teams in tow in the vote. Um, and it was just rubbish. You know, because you, know, you spin the dice. If you if you change back to 2018 tyres, you spin the dice. Pirelli was against the idea um, as well, but the vote was 5-5, and in order to win, they needed 70%, so they lost, which is good because I, I don't believe in, in changing the rules because other teams can't do it. We saw it in 2003 where Williams, they changed the rules of tyres, um, and it was it basically robbed Williams of a world championship. And that's not right. You know, it's just not right. So changing the rules mid-season because somebody dresses something up as being something it isn't, you know, it, it, it's a bit like, um, um, how do you, I don't know. No, I better not say that. But it's basically, you know, just dressing up a change because you, you think you might gain an advantage and trying to pretend it's something it's not. It's just rubbish. Forget it. I'm horrified at what that analogy was going to be, but also desperately curious. I'll find out later. It uh, involved old ladies and, and <laughs> never mind. Yeah, yeah good, whatever. good. Never mind. Thank you so much, Joe Sayward, for your time. Uh, Silverstone Grand Prix next. So you're going to leave the baking heat of France and come to the slightly muggy heat of Great Britain. When do you make your way over? Uh, I think I'll be going over on Tuesday. It's quite early. Oh, I'm only going to be home for a few days. Well, but I've got th- in England. I have things to do. I don't visit very often, so. So people I have an see. audience on the Wednesday. I have things at Silverstone on the Thursday, and, and off we go. An audience with Joe Sayward in that there London on the Wednesday before the Grand Prix. Uh, usually, you charge about the same as a show. So go and see a show, or go and see Joe. That's the choice, and I would highly recommend uh, the Joe. Oh, yeah, show and dinner. You know, you always put on a good spread as well. Little... Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, the, I mean, the, the problem is it's midweek. I understand that, but I have no choice because I can't be there on Friday. So it's either it's Wednesday or nothing. Um, and I understand that people, you know, from from outside London can't make it because they have to work. I do understand the concept of work, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry, but that's all I can do. When you have situations like this, that's all you can do. 
Joe, people can find you by searching Joe Blogs F1 because you blog about F1. And they can subscribe to your e-magazine, Joe Grand Prix Plus. That's right, isn't it? GrandPlus.com. Handwritten magazine by Joe, issued four hours after the race. That's his target. That's what he does. No, 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 no. No? It's not handwritten. It's six hours after the race. But nonetheless, a wax tablet. A wax tablet of uh, of the race results. No, it's a PDF. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, good. You you understand what a PDF is? You know, it's that paper. Ask your older uncle's kids. Uh, The content's good. The content's always good, Joe. That's the most important thing. The best content is actually the JSBNM newsletter, which is um, especially for the industry. That costs a load more money. But if you go to... uh, God, can I remember it? Flatoutpublishing.com. You can find the details, but that's the insider stuff. Mm. And the insider stuff is read by the teams mainly. So they actually, um, they want to know what's going on. So they read me. Still waiting for my podcast host discount, Joe. Just You'll like be a, waiting a long Just time. like a code or anything. How much is that yeah, then? Yeah. How much is that? That costs 199 a Can't year? The, a year? Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's oh. a bargain. It's a bargain. That's not too bad. Thank you very much, Joe Saywood. You can catch up with us next on Sunday where we'll be doing an F1 news show. We will also be catching up with Matthew Carter, the former uh, F1 Lotus team boss who comes and chats in my shed as well. And who's of course... A great, who's a great guy. I have a lot of time for him. He's fantastic. I'd love to get you and uh, you and Matthew in the shed together at some point. What do you think? I, I'm sure we would have a good time because Matthew and I got on very well and he's much underestimated. But he was fighting a horrible battle at the time and he did a very good job. And we'll try and hook that up then for you guys. We'll also, of course, be doing our live race review after the British Grand Prix at 8pm UK time. You can join us by searching for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. Until next time, kids, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This is Inside F1 with me and Joe. A record only seven swears, Joe. It's not bad. Really? I don't think I swore once. Well, it depends what you think a swear word is. I think you are clearly quite yes. lax a days ago. You clearly don't have small children running around, Joe. I do, actually. I have my grandchildren, but they speak French, so it's uh, all right. Yeah, well, that is useful. Bilingual houses, because uh, you can then swear in a, a completely different language. And if the kids copy you, you don't get in trouble. Yeah, I will get in trouble. It's just a matter of time. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.